because very often what's happening with us women in modern day society is because of the demands on us, we are being forced unnaturally to live from the neck up, constantly in this thinking mode. What do I need to do next for myself, for my partner, for my job, for the kids, for dinner, right? We're constantly planning ahead. We don't live in the present, we live in the future. Welcome to another episode of Key Self Mastery Living Your Life with a Purpose podcast. I'm your host, Noor Kamila Binti Muhammad Sharif, and today I have a special inspiring guest, and her name is Ziba Han. Ziba is an internationally renowned Ayurvedic clinician, meditation teacher, energy healer, and motivational speaker who uses holistic treatment to restore her patients' mental, physical, emotional, and spiritual health. She has presented month-long workshops to corporate clients, including some well-known global leaders. She has also led meditation and yoga workshops at schools internationally to incorporate wellness education into their curriculum. She has explored different types of non-religious and religion-based meditations and uses them as part of her treatments. She is also a leading practitioner with Mind Valley's Solvana, a global healing and meditation collective where her meditations and podcasts have helped many people around the world. In 2020, she was honoured by an invitation to be part of a live interactive session hosted by His Holiness the Dalai Lama on the topic of integrated healthcare and compassion. Ziba was raised mainly in the United States but comes from a mixed heritage background. Her early career spent modelling, acting, television, radio and journalism before she entered academia and became a professor in communications to teach and research religious harmony across various interpersonal, organisational and intercultural contexts. Ziba is trained and certified in the Ayurveda sciences at Union Yoga Ayurveda. It's truly a privilege and I am honoured to have Ziba as my guest in this episode. Thank you Ziba for accepting the invitation to come on board my podcast channel. And in this episode, I mentioned to you that I would like to discuss more about wellness in women. The inspiration came about when I spoke to you in our first phone call. And you mentioned about how important it is for women to take care of their health for as long as they live. I just find the way you talk about it very fascinating. (laughs) Ziba, I'm very curious. What makes you embark in this journey of Ayurveda and well-being. So do share uh, with us a bit more about your past, like what, what led you to do this. Well, I used to be a university professor, cultural communication and religious harmony. And my baby boy was born, and I lived in L.A. at the time, and he was diagnosed with asthma because he was coughing. Now, if you live in L.A. and you cough, you're diagnosed with asthma. <laughs> That's just how it goes. You're put on antibiotics, you're put on... Uh, steroid inhalers, you put on nebulizers, and it's just the air quality, right? It's the environment. And I was very sad as a new mother, and I was very disappointed, and I didn't want my little baby to essentially have this mask over his face that I was forcing upon him, right? And they will struggle. They don't want that. We as adults don't want that, 
right? And so they're struggling. They want this thing off their face, and you're trying to get all these steroid chemicals in them. And I knew that it was just, I just felt it was wrong, Camilla. You know, it, there was something in my body that was like, there's got to be a more natural way to do this. There's, there's got to be something that's better. And so I decided to go back to my roots and go down the Indian path and explore what Ayurveda has to say about asthma and allergies. And I very quickly was able to get him off the nebulizer just using home remedies. Nothing fancy, just herbs and spices that most of us who live in Asia have in our kitchen already, making um, strong tonics, brewing tea, and he was off the inhaler. And when I saw that, I thought, everyone's got to find out about this. You know, it's not a panacea. It's not going to work for everyone 100% of the time. But it is remarkable because when it, you know, if he can get you off your meds, who doesn't want to be off their synthetic meds with all the side effects, right? Like you look at diabetes. You go into the conventional Western-trained doctor, and they'll give you metformin to control your blood glucose levels. And it works. Now, over time, your insulin resistance will increase, so your metformin dosage will have to go up. But overall, it will work to help reduce the acceleration of your blood glucose levels over time. What most doctors do not inform their patients of is it simultaneously causes liver damage. Yeah. Give it 15 years and you're going to have liver damage if you're on metformin, which is why if you're diabetic, every single time you go to the doctor and they draw your blood to measure your hemoglobin, your HbA1c, they will also measure your liver function. Now, they don't tell you, but if you look at your lab results next to your blood glucose level underneath, you're going to see they ran a liver panel on you. Did they check your estrogen, testosterone? Did they run your hormone panel? No. Why not? Because metformin doesn't affect your hormones. Mm -hmm. But metformin will affect the liver. Yeah. But they don't tell you, but there are side effects to these things, right? Now, I'm not saying metformin's bad and come off your metformin if you're on metformin. And Western medicine, allopathic medicine, absolutely has its place. It is phenomenal if you have an acute condition. If I go out and I get hit by a car, I want you to rush me to the hospital and, you know, put me on IV and do whatever you need to do mm -hmm. to uh, help keep me alive in the short term, right? But if I'm diagnosed with a condition, I don't want to be on medication the rest of my life mm -hmm. because I don't want to have to deal with the side effect of the medications. So in that case, I think when we're diagnosed with more of a chronic condition, that's really the time to definitely turn to more holistic medical practices so that you don't endure the side effects long term, right? I don't want my blood sugar to not escalate and at the same time get liver damage, mm -mm. right? Yeah. yeah, that's what happened to my late mother. She passed away because of liver damage. She's uh, diagnosed with diabetes. She did take metformin throughout 30 over years and her dosage increased and then the doctor gave her insulin jab and it affected her kidney as well and she had a kidney failure and she passed on because of kidney failure. But at the tail end, we did introduce to her some natural remedies and that actually helped with her blood sugar level and it went back to normal. 
but the side effects of the medication was the one that we couldn't reverse. And those tend to really kick in, of course, when we have the longer we're on any medication, the deeper and the more long-lasting and the more difficult it will be to reverse their effects. Yeah. I'm so sorry to hear about your mother. Yes. Yeah. So we hope that more uh, people are aware of this and they can take the necessary steps and measures. Yeah. Know. And the thing about diabetes is unless you're born with type 1 diabetes, it is one of the most easily reversible diagnoses, assuming that a patient is compliant. Mm-hmm. You got to do it, you know, and it can absolutely be reversed. I used to work at Novena Medical Clinic and patient after patient, we reversed diabetes. They came off their medication, but these were not people who had had diabetes for 20 years. Mm-hmm. These were people by and large who had been diagnosed within the last five years, mm-hmm. but they were able to come off. And in Ayurveda, we say that the enemy of sugar is the bitter flavor. So if you see an Ayurveda clinician, what they will do is to immediately start introducing more bitter into your diet. Bitter foods, bitter herbs, bitter teas, and that helps to neutralize elevated blood sugar levels and to help stimulate your pancreas to develop more healthy beta cells so that you can produce more insulin and have Mm. sensitivity. Wow, interesting. What does wellness for women look like for you and given that you are a renowned Ayurvedic clinician and you're also a meditation teacher, nutritionist and energy healer and you focus on holistic approach to healing, I would like to hear from your perspective what wellness looks like for a woman because from the understanding of most women in general, when we think about women's health, we think about their ovarian health, we, treat, we think about their breast health, those type of uh, health. But is there any other aspects of health and wellness that women tend to overlook? Well, that is a great question, Camilla. Mm. And it's very loaded as well. Health, wellness, and well-being all go hand in hand. And you're spot on when you say that as women, we tend to focus on our reproductive health and our breast health and not much of anything else unless we've got symptoms we go in we get a diagnosis we take medication for it and hope that we can stabilize it or that it goes away and that's not an optimal recipe for well-being right to be well to feel well means to have harmony in the mind body, spirit, and emotions. So we really need to look not only at physical health, but also at emotional health, mental health, and our spiritual health. And spiritual health is very important because whether we pray, we meditate, or we do both, it reduces our stress on a lot of levels to be able to surrender to a higher power, to be able to say, I'm exhausted. I have overexerted myself. I have overextended myself today. I have overgiven, dear Lord, or higher power or universe, but whatever name you want to call it by. And then to be able to step back and say, and I leave the rest up to you. At this point, I've done everything I can do to help myself and my loved ones. And the rest is in your hands. 
And what that does is, uh, you know, science studies have shown that it has all kinds of ripple effects mentally, physically, emotionally on reducing stress. We feel better because we are not the be all and end all, the locus of control. We can do everything we can, we can plant the seeds, but we can't guarantee that the tree will bear fruit. There are consequences outside of us that do impact the outcome. No matter how much we desire something, no matter how hard we work towards it. And I think that when, especially as women, when we're really stressed out, the first element of our lives that we throw out the window to make time for other things is the spiritual component, right? We, we stop praying or we don't pray as regularly. We stop meditating because we're like, no, 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 20 minutes can be spent doing something else way more productive that needs to get done for the kids, for my partner, for my parents, for my job. And so we tend to push the whole spiritual life out the window first. And then the second area that we throw out the window is physical movement. And we don't have to call it exercise. I think exercise is a very rigid uh, connotation assigned to it, where we think of you know running shoes in the gym. But any kind of physical movement counts in Ayurveda, whether it's mopping, cleaning the house, you know, going um, down to the grocery store and walking while doing that. It's all physical movement, and it all counts. And very often, as women, when we're overextended. The physical movement gets thrown out the door, especially post-COVID. We just get everything delivered now. Mm-hmm. You know, we're not even leaving the house some days. Mm-hmm. When we start doing that, when we throw our spiritual body out the window, when we throw our physical body, when it comes to physical movement, out the window, then we have a really tough time because then we're just trying to balance our mentally and emotional body. And we're running on very low fuel at that point. And a lot of us do it. It's very, very common. It's unhealthy and common. Mm. And when we reach that point, we're tinkering on the verge of burnout. And of course, when we're burnt out, when we're exhausted, we can't give to anyone, including ourselves. So well-being is really holistic, the way that I teach it, the way that I coach my clients, because we've got to focus on all four areas. And when we have balance in those four areas, we are happy. We have well-being. We have health. We have harmony with our emotions. Our joints are lubricated. We're limber. And we're not as stressed because on a daily basis, we're surrendering our worries and our anxiety and our regrets Mm. to a higher power. Wonderful. Wow. I love how you emphasize spirituality in terms of our spiritual health okay because um like like you mentioned we tend to focus more on the emotional or the physical health aspect and we tend to neglect our spiritual health but that is actually the fuel that is running us and and a lot of us don't really fill up that fuel because we are always so focused on the external, um, you know, upkeeping of our uh, the physical space of uh, our physical appearance, our you know BMI <laughs> and the food that we eat. And when we talk about spirituality, most of the time people would think that it's limited to just you know the kind of uh, religious practice that. Uh, we practice but there are also different ways as to how you can uh, recharge your your soul right um 
And my personal favorite, my ways of recharging my spiritual fuel is to go walk in nature and to be close to the trees, to the, the sea, the mountains. So that's how I refuel myself. Uh, and of course, being a Muslim, I, I do pray and all that, right? Like I mentioned, spirituality can be done in a way that is not complicated. You don't really have to sit or meditate one corner. You mentioned meditation. Right? So what are the other examples of you know how women can top up their spiritual cups? It's a great question. Uh, one very effective way that's been shown time and time again in clinical studies is what you just mentioned, the effect of nature on reducing our stress levels. The Japanese, I'm sure you've heard, have this practice called Shinrin-yoku, which is forest bathing. And it's phenomenal because you sit in nature, and the Japanese you know, practice the immersion in nature, and sitting and observing nature. And from the Japanese perspective, coming from a penetration of Zen Buddhism and Japanese culture, when they sit in nature, they view nature, Camilla, from this angle of impermanence. Things are always changing. And so when you have a daily reminder that things are impermanent, it becomes far less easier for you to let go, and it becomes harder for you to cling and grasp to things remaining the way that they are, right? And these are very powerful reminders because, again, when we let go of the sense of control, we're relaxed. We trust a higher power. We trust the universe. We trust that the universe is a benevolent place and that it's on our side. Things are happening for us, not against us. The universe is not out to get us and punish us and torture us and cause us to suffer, but rather the universe is bringing blessings and gifts and lessons, learnings to us. So that's one element, you know, is when you're in nature, you can view nature from that angle of impermanence. And it has a lot to teach us. If we do, like what you said, if, if we just look at the trees, trees change, they're green, they're lush, they're full. And six months later, the leaves are all gone. And yet there's a cycle of rebirth. And so with us as well, there's a constant cycle of rebirth. There's a constant cycle of reincarnation, if you will. You are now not the same woman that you were half an hour ago when you walked into the room. So in that sense, you have been reborn. You're constantly evolving and growing and elevating yourself. When we spend time in nature, we can also look at it from the angle of awe. And this also helps to relax us and to lower our stress levels. When we sit down and we're surrounded by the chirping of birds and the sight of this magnificent large tree in front of us that's hundreds of years old, we just can't help but fall into a state of awe and gratitude. That there is something bigger than us, outside of us, that grew this magnificence. This magnificence that predates us and that will outlive us. And that helps to kind of put us in our place a little bit, if you will, Camilla. And it reminds us that these great worries that we seem to have that follow us around, that we're so stressed out about now, are not going to be there 
next year, 12 months from now, we're probably not going to remember these things. Definitely not five years from now. So spending time in nature is one of the most effective ways of reducing stress, whether you want to do it from that angle of having it remind you of the impermanence of things, Mm -hmm. the impermanence of bad things that are happening to you, as well as the impermanence of good things that are happening to you. Or you can look at it from the angle of having it induce awe and wonder and gratitude within you. Another tip for women is in Ayurveda what we call abhyanka, which is nothing other than self-massage. So you take an oil that's suited to your mind, body, spirit composition, what we call dosha in Ayurveda, and you give yourself a self-massage. Ideally, you do it all over the body, and you let the oil seep in for 20 minutes, and then you shower. But if you can't afford that luxury of time or you got little kids and then it gets slippery too mm-hmm. and it can be dangerous, what you can do is simply at bedtime, after you brushed your teeth and you know, you're sitting on your bed, take an oil, again, one that's suited to your mind, body, spirit composition. Take a few drops. It must be at least room temperature, if not warm oil, and rub it onto the soles of your feet. This will help to relax you and help you to fall asleep easier and to stay asleep. So it's a very, very powerful exercise. And the oils that are used are almond oil, sesame oil, or coconut oil. Wonderful. So it's very therapeutic when you talk about the impermanence of nature and how nature is healing and can help us reduce our stress level. What I know is that stress could cause inflammation. Stress could cause digestive issues. There's a lot of diseases that's linked to stress. find that it's very important for the listeners, and for women to understand how something as simple as nature could actually make a difference in your well-being physically and emotionally as well. And it gives you a sense of inner peace. So when I was listening to you describing nature and you know how nature can help contribute to that well-being, Listening to it alone gives me inner peace as I imagine, you know, how the trees would be very different the next day and how long it has been uh, around way before us and it's going to continue to live even after we die. Then putting us back to our place and just look at the insignificance of our life. Wonderful. And sometimes, you know, when we're, especially when we're going through trouble, so times mm. of stress, we have a tendency, Camilla, and we all do it, of making ourselves the universe. We become the center of the world. You know, oh my goodness, you have no idea what I'm going through. No, no, my problems are bigger than yours, right? And when we spend time in nature, it shrinks us in that way. It shrinks us, it shrinks our problems, and it reminds us that now we're just a dot on the planet. You know, we're not the entire planet, and we're certainly not the center of the world by any imagination. And That's one of the beauties of spending time in nature. Another really therapeutic benefit is to be barefoot in nature because it helps to neutralize the effect of, you know, the EMF, the electromagnetic fields that we're in all day long. If you can't walk barefoot on the earth for whatever reason or sand, you know, then the second best thing to do is to sit down on the earth and sit with your back against a tree. And this will also help to detoxify your body of the EMF that we're in all day long because of Wi-Fi. That's also a way to ground ourselves, right? To be rooted 
to where we belong and to be in touch with the reality of life that we are in right now. Mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, if I'm uh, correct, right? Uh, because I don't really know about Ay- Ayurveda. All I know is that it's made of herbs and natural ingredients. You could actually make it from your kitchen <laughs> because I all I saw was Ayurvedic products that's already ready made in a bottle. And I know there's one big company that you know that sells Ayurvedic products that they have like facial creams and hair oils. <laughs> yeah, am I right to say that Ayurvedic treatment also helps with uh, beauty and your the health of your hair, your nails? Is, is that included as well? Absolutely, Ayurveda looks at all of it. It looks at your inside as well as your outside. The Western definition of health is health is the absence of disease. But in Ayurveda, we say, no, it's a lot more than that. You know, like we opened today's talk with what health is, right? What does well-being mean? According to Ayurveda, health is happiness. It's having your organs functioning optimally. It's having regular bowel movements so you don't have toxins floating around your bloodstream. It's about having a good, healthy, nutritious diet that doesn't leave you feeling weighed down or sleepy or bloated after you eat it. It's about getting optimal sleep, physical movement, spirituality, uh, relieving your stress. That is the definition of health in Ayurveda. So it very much looks at your insides as well as your outsides. It looks at your physical body, your emotional body, your spiritual body, and your mental body as well. Wow, wonderful. So you are functioning normally as a human being, and not only normally, but optimally. Exactly. Exactly. Right? Okay. Yep, okay. That's wonderful. What would your advice be for women who, like you mentioned, don't have time to rub oil all over their body, who don't have time to go and sit one corner and meditate or to cook up some Ayurvedic dishes and all that, right? Or to even learn about how they can apply health in a holistic way because they have a lot of uh, responsibilities to take care of because they have kids to juggle. And some of us are working mothers, you know, and on top of that, some of them don't have helpers at home and they might be doing all the housework by themselves. What would your advice be for us women to have the change of mindset when it comes to our well-being? It would be to carve out time for yourself, even if it's one minute a day. Get off your phone and whether you're on the bus or you're walking somewhere or you're standing in a queue anywhere, you can always take a minute to put your attention on a focal point of your choice. Traditionally, it's the breath, but for some people who have been traumatized, say, by a drowning experience or suffocation, uh, focusing on the breath creates anxiety. Focusing on the breath is not for everyone. You know, you can focus on an emotion of love or gratitude You can focus on the image of the beach or the mountains. Whatever vibes with you, whatever brings you peace, and you can do that for one minute. No matter where you are, no matter what your stresses are in life right now, no matter how many children are tugging on your clothes and yelling your name, right? Mama, mama, come, I need this. 
You can always carve out a minute just for yourself. Live your life with purpose. Even if that means going to the bathroom and just running the water, you know, closing the door and running the water so the kids think you're busy in there. Just breathe. And you can even start noting. You know, if you have more than a minute, you just start observing the emotions that are coming up. And you can note them. This is another meditation technique. Noting is nothing other than labeling what you're feeling. And it's a phenomenal way of reconnecting your mind to your emotional heart, to your body. Because very often what's happening with us women in modern day society is because of the demands on us, we are being forced unnaturally to live from the neck up, constantly in this thinking mode. What do I need to do next for myself, for my partner, for my job, for the kids, for dinner, right? We're constantly planning ahead. We don't live in the present. We live in the future. And when we take a moment for ourselves, we reconnect to our heart space. And that's really, as women, where we begin to create, right? That's where we nurture from. That's where we love from. It's not in our head. No one says, I love you with all my mind, right? Yeah. <laughs> all my head, right? It's, it's the heart. And when we, when we drop into our heart and we start noting what we're feeling as we're breathing, not only do we relieve stress and the tension in our neck and shoulders, yeah, that's all great. But as we reduce our stress levels, we also come back to loving ourselves. It's an exercise, it's a practice, ultimately, in self-love. To say, hey, I matter too, whatever I'm feeling right now, whatever I'm stressed out about right now, I matter too. It's not only about me being savior to everyone else and alleviating their stress levels, but also alleviating mine. And when we come from that place of self-love, we feel more joyous, more expansive, rather than constricted because of the burdens and responsibilities that are placed on our shoulders. Yeah, wonderful. A minute a day is enough to begin with. Ideally, yeah. And you know, anything that you can go for, go for. If you can go for 20 minutes, 30 minutes, an hour, mm -hmm. do it because you will only reap more benefits. And when we do that, we feel, like you were saying earlier, Camilla, it reduces inflammation in the body on a cellular level. So whatever diagnosis, whatever stress, you know, 80 to 90% of diseases nowadays are actually induced by stress, by lifestyle. And, you know, the stress can also be the poor diet that we're eating is putting stress in our body. If we're eating fast food all the time, there's no nutrition in fast food. Mm -hmm. So it stresses us out on a cellular level. You know, our, our cells are looking at reproducing and they can't because they don't have the nutrients that they need to reproduce and give you energy. Mm -hmm. It's very important to really reduce our stress levels and to prioritize what's important to you. Mm -hmm. You know, today, what are the three most important things I need to get done? Mm -hmm. That I must get done before I go to sleep tonight. Yeah. And to not look at our cell phones first thing in the morning when we wake up. You know, because very often the moment we look at our cell phones, Camilla, we end up responding to other people's requests of us. Mm -hmm. Rather than putting our own needs first, we start serving other people. Yeah. And that's not a bad thing, but we just need to serve ourselves first. Because if you don't prioritize you, someone else might not be prioritizing you either, and then you end up getting neglected. And usually when we wake up, our body needs to hydrate. That's the first thing that you could possibly do to attend to yourself and what your body needs, right? Absolutely. And I will say again, you know, depending on your dosha, 
lemon water or lime water is the way to go. And it's about 16 ounces. We can lose up to a liter of water while we're sleeping, especially if we do mouth breathing with the air con on. It is very dehydrating and we don't know it because our bodies adapt. Yeah, yeah. Very important to hydrate upon rising. You're very right. I think most of us wake up to coffee <laughs> and not drink water to hydrate our body. And one thing about coffee, it's dehydrating. Yeah, so that's something that we also must be aware of. Yeah, and you know, I tell my clients, coffee has its benefits, yes. But and if, you, if you really need to drink that cup of coffee in the morning to get you up, fine. But while it's brewing, drink at least at least eight ounces of water while you're waiting for that cup of coffee. At least hydrate yourself before you dehydrate yourself, right? That way they can cancel each other out. It would be ideal if you can have 16 ounces of water and then a cup of coffee because then you'll truly be hydrated. It's okay. You don't have to cut off your coffee totally. Uh, I'm, I'm a coffee lover. So <laughs> I must have my coffee every day <laughs> in the morning. The first thing that came to mind is mindfulness. I know like mindfulness is an in topic nowadays, right? Especially in a uh, work setting, like more HRs are having talks about mindfulness, you know, introducing mindfulness to their employees. I think it's, while it's overrated, it's still underrated as well. The fact it's so simple, people might not take it seriously because it's the practice of mindfulness is very simple, like what you, you mentioned. Just one minute a day, just be in touch with how you're feeling, checking in with yourself or checking in with your breath. Yeah, so simple practices, but people tend to underestimate the power of it. It's simple, but it's, it's difficult. It is. I mean, if I sit here and tell you, to focus on your breath for one minute. Mm -hmm. I don't know how many breaths you can go for until you lose concentration. Most people cannot make it past four breaths. Then their mind will begin to wander. And there are many techniques that I can give you to focus on your breath. You know, you can count the breaths. That could be the focus of your mind is, you know, counting. The focus of your mind can be noting what your body is going through. So on each on each inhale, for example, you can say rising, you know, to yourself in your head. And then as you exhale, you can say falling. Again, four breaths and you're going to lose it. You know, that's the average. So it seems like a very simple practice. Mindfulness is nothing other than being here now. What's going on right now? Where are you? You're in your head. You're in your head ruminating about what happened that you didn't do or didn't say or should have done or should have said, mm -hmm. right? Or you're planning for the future. We are rarely ever here now. Yeah. That's what mindfulness practice truly is. So whether you want to tune into your breath to be here now or an emotion like I mentioned earlier or a scene from nature or a verse from a holy book or from your favorite poem or favorite song, that's up to you. You know, your focal point can be anything that you want it to be. But it's something that brings you peace here and now. It's a gift that you give to you. Lovely. Yeah, we live in a busy world where we tend to think about a lot of things and we worry too much. Uh, we stress too much, you know. Saying don't worry and just be happy may sound simplistic. <laughs> But it is actually possible. It's doable. You know, when you take on what Ziba has just shared in, in this episode, which is, you know, to find time to be connected with yourself, to find time to be connected uh, with nature, 
and to uh, take care of your needs first early in the morning. So these practices could take you far when you start to be consistent with these practices and you notice the quality of your uh, well-being, the quality of your mind during the quality of your life will start to transform you know and just by being in this present moment right now if you can really take that on you just realize that happiness lives right there where you are <laughs> you know peace lives right there where you are there's no other place that you can look for it except for where you are the more Camilla, that we tune into ourselves in that regard the more we realize what our personal truth is not the voice of our parents, not the voice of our partner, not the voice of our children or caregivers or boss or, you know, whomever it might have been teachers growing up. But we're able to tune into our own personal truth at any age. Who do we want to be? Why are we living life the way that we are? Was this a conscious choice that I made or was this some framework or paradigm that I inherited? And is it really working for me? Is it the best one for me? Once we tune in, once we become aware of what our truth is, we're able to then speak our truth more easily. Uh, when it comes to thyroid issues, you know, thyroid issues are on the rise globally, especially hypothyroidism. And 90% of those diagnosed with hypothyroidism or Hashimoto's disease are women. And if you look at it from an Ayurvedic perspective, the thyroid gland is the seat of communication. Mm. expression in the body when we don't express hypo means under so hypothyroidism would be not expressing ourselves enough mm -hmm. it's like suffocating it's like choking your own voice right and so what this means is we keep quiet that which we really need to speak up about you know to say no i don't want to go to dinner there tonight it can be something as simple as that mm. it's stopping the people pleasing and as women, we're very much raised across cultures to please others. And the ancient traditional paradigm is to please men, right? Our fathers and then our, our romantic partners, right? Mm -hmm. And our please our children. So we're just givers traditionally. But there comes a point where we overgive and then our organs begin underfunctioning or malfunctioning. And so I have a lot of patients who suffer from hypothyroidism. And once they're able to kind of find their own voice, mentally, emotionally, and then express it into the outer world, they find that their health, their physical health, begins to improve. They're able to reduce the amount of medication that they're on. And very often when I ask these women, Camilla, what is it that you want? Bless them. They have no idea. They have never paused to reflect on what they want. But if I ask them, what do others want of you? What do others expect of you? They can tell me immediately what that long laundry list is. Yeah, I've met a lot of women who don't know what they want. And like what we mentioned, we live uh, based on what is expected of us and not who we really are. And that's living life by default and not creating the life that you truly want for yourself. It's uh, shifting from living a life automatically, like an autopilot mode, or 
living a life in a creator mode. So what I'm hearing is that you are inviting women to find their voice, to be able to speak their mind and let the world know what they need. You put it so eloquently right now, you know, going from being passive to being active in the mm-hmm. creation of your own life. And when you realize that you have that ability and you have that power and you're just choosing not to exercise it, but it is indeed available to you, you might also find that you've got to pause and analyze the people who are in your life because access to you is not a right, it's a privilege. And sometimes that means detoxifying your life of people, letting go of certain relationships, cutting people out of your life. And if not that extreme, then simply just shrinking your relationship. Maybe not seeing that person once a week, but once a month instead. And maybe not talking to them about all the topics that you used to because they disagree and they fight with you and you leave feeling upset and misunderstood. So maybe shrinking the relationship and staying away from certain topics when you do interact with them. But when we tune into our expression and what it is that we truly desire, and this is not selfishness. Yeah, it's not. It's not selfishness. It's simply valuing ourselves and giving a voice to that which we desire. You're not being aggressive. You're just being assertive and saying, hey, I matter too. This is what I think. This is what I feel. This is what I want. You're not making any demands on anyone, right? But I think we we also realize as women that we don't have a duty to be a dartboard in someone else's life and allow them to continue to throw little darts at us because it gives them a sense of connection to us, right? They don't have that right. Mm-hmm. They don't get to harm us or pick on us or criticize us regularly because it makes them feel good and connected to us. Like, do we really have a duty to show up and be that dartboard to them and take what it is they're throwing at us time and time again? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And when we tune in to what we want, that heart space within us, we realize, no, I'm stronger than this, right? Just because they're related to me in this particular way, you know, whether they're my grandfather or they're my cousin or they're my daughter, it doesn't give them the right to treat me like this. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. And then we, we express that voice. And if yeah, they- I know some, some women culturally, you know, they... they- constantly give and give and give and let people take and take things away from them um and energy is a currency you know that we need to look at because you don't really give away your energy to people who don't really deserve our energy you know we just need to take our energy seriously like a real currency and the constant criticism Mm. that we're under the constant evaluation of being under the microscope whether it's our physique oh you know you're too thin you're too fat you're too short you're too whatever the standard Mm -hmm. beauty is in that culture whether it's skin color or eye color or height or weight or breast size you know whatever it might be whatever the standards of beauty are we're constantly under the microscope first physically then someone gets to know us, and then they criticize our personality. They criticize our desires. They criticize, you know, different aspects of our yeah. life. Our parenting methods yeah. criticize how we yes. take care of the household. Yeah. That, you know, how you spend your finances, yes. how you spend your money. Men don't have 
these same kinds of pressures. They have different kinds of pressures, and I'm not saying that their pressures are less than ours. Mm -hmm. But all I'm saying is it's far more difficult to criticize a man for his appearance in a large, you know, I think if you get a bunch of guys together, <laughs> they see another guy walking by, they won't be catty about it. <laughs> and about, oh, did you see her such and such? <laughs> you know, <laughs> this or it was so bad. You know, we'll, we'll do it because it's done to us. Mm -hmm. And instead of being against each other, we need to cultivate a more of a sense of sisterhood and unity and community amongst yeah. people to where we support each other rather than try to tear each other down subconsciously. Because again, this is a paradigm that we've inherited. Perhaps yeah. our mothers did it to us. Perhaps our mother-in-laws did it to us. Aunties, grandmother, female teachers. You know, but it's something that subconsciously we've inherited and we need to become aware of it so that we don't have to be it anymore. Because once yeah. you can see it, you don't have to be it. Yeah, because women can get really powerful if we work together and we have that unison to support one another we can really conquer the world <laughs> it's what we do naturally right yeah. to try to do it just comes yeah i mean the fact that we raise children usually single-handedly they turn out to become adults that contributes to society i mean that's powerful you know <laughs> Very so, yeah Never underestimate your role as a nurturer. Amen, sister. Amen. <laughs> it's been great to have you. I've truly learned a lot from you in this uh, short, you know, almost an hour now. It's refreshing to hear, you know, how you really focus and emphasize more on the spiritual aspect of well-being that shows the importance of how spiritual well-being is that we tend to overlook. Let's say women who are in need of services, you know, how can they reach out to you and what kind of work do you do to support them in terms of their well-being? So they can find me on my website, zebahealing.com and also on Instagram and Facebook under the same name, Ziba Healing. I have a lot of free resources on my website to help people and I offer a lot of courses as well as doing one-to-one -one and group programs. So I've got courses that are catered towards people's mind, body, spirit compositions. So they can go onto my website, take the quiz, find out which dosha type they are. Mm -hmm. And if they'd like kind of an introductory taste on how to balance their diet and sleep and exercise and get a couple of meditation practices in there as well, then they can buy... Uh, the dosha specific course from me mm. um, and then if you want to sign up for you know a package i do one-on-one -on -one consultations as well for different medical ailments uh, but also for healthy people who just want to become healthier mm -mm. you know you don't have to be sick to come to ayurveda because ayurveda is actually at its core it's a practice of teaching us how to be healthy and in the event that we fall sick it provides us with remedies Mm, so it's wonderful. really a way of living life for everyone. I see clients, you know, a lot of my clients right now are coming to me with anxiety and depression, for example. Mm. There's, there's this interconnection, Camilla, between the mind, body, and the spirit. Lots of trauma in our world, especially post-COVID. COVID, mm. I think, brought out a lot of trauma as well as created a lot of trauma for many of us. Lots of grief. Mm. Lots loss of dreams that were never realized, the loss of friends and family to COVID, 
and we're living in a different world now than we were three years ago. And yes. people have been deeply under-resourced to deal with that. And that's what trauma is. It's when the external event causes you know, a shift within you that wounds you and you have difficulty coming back from because you feel under-resourced within. And trauma can be worked through. You just need a good person who can get through to you, if you will, who gets you, who understands you, who can help you to process that trauma. And you can and will come out of it. It is not a life sentence. We've all been traumatized. Mm -mm -mm. But we don't have to live from a place of trauma. Wonderful. So how do you help the clients with trauma? It's really case-specific. Where trauma is involved, Camilla, addiction is usually there. Addiction to not necessarily substances, but addictive behaviors. Mm -hmm. So it can be, you know, every time... I get a call from my mom, I reach for a bar of chocolate. Well, why is that? And and so we delve into that. And it's because, you know, the chocolate makes me feel better. Mm. Okay. So that's a good thing though, isn't it? That you feel better. You know, we have to, first of all, remove the shame around the coping strategy. Mm -hmm. Because oftentimes we are afraid and ashamed and embarrassed to admit that we have an addiction because we feel lesser than. Mm -hmm. So first we remove the shame around the addiction or the coping strategy because whatever it is that we were doing, whether it was binge-watching pornography or binge-eating sugar, it made us feel better. And to feel better is not a bad thing. Who doesn't want to feel better? Yes, yeah. I think that's the only resources available to them. Yeah. Know of. Yeah. yeah, so then we expose them to new resources to help mm-hmm. them feel better and say, hey, your repertoire is not only sugar, or candy bars, or Diet Coke. Mm-hmm. But your repertoire is so much more vast than that. Yeah. There are 10 other things you can do to feel better. And that's how we begin to unravel the trauma and to process the grief that's involved. Because whenever we have trauma, there's always grief involved. There's a sense of loss of something or someone. And trauma can also be that which we never got. It's not only the bad that we got, mm-hmm. Trauma can also come in the form of the good that we never got. Things that we were deprived of. Yes. So maybe you weren't abused as a child. You weren't hit. You know, you you had just a kind of fine upbringing. At the same time, you never had parents that loved you or held you or that came quickly when you cried. You know, so ambivalence is also traumatic, right? Mm, right, right. You didn't necessarily feel wanted and valued and important, but you also didn't feel that they didn't want you. You mm. know, you're almost invisible, and that can be traumatic in and of itself. Right. So you and dive that, deep into the root cause of the trauma. Absolutely, right. That's the only way to do it. If you're going to unravel it, you got to go to the heart of it. No avoiding that topic, yeah, <laughs> because some clients really find that place a scary place, and uh, I be- I believe that if they talk it out to the right person, I think you can carry them to a safe place, and that they can really talk about it in a safe, non-judgmental way. Yeah, and that's what it is. It's about coming to safety. Yeah, because when we were traumatized, we did not feel safe, and as a result of the trauma, we have disconnected from our body, and we need to reintegrate. It's like we became fragmented. Mm -hmm. And when we 
become untraumatized, we become integrated again, we become whole again, we put the pieces back together again. Thank you so much. There's so much that we can learn from Deepa. And yeah, so for those of you who wants to speak to her and get some a consultation from her, you know, you can visit her through her website, zibahealing.com. And the links will be in the description box below or above, <laughs> depending on which platform you're looking at. Thank you so much, Ziva, for your time. Thank you for being here. Thanks, Kamala. Want to live your life with purpose? Book your first coaching session with me at camillahms.com.